Alright, got it recording. And wait to see is my Are we live on YouTube? Yes we are. Alright. We're live. Welcome back to Living in the Light podcast, episode one. Last one was episode zero, mainly because it was a kind of like a test thing, see how well we do. We're doing the same questions plus a few others as last time, but just we went more in depth. I'm here with Sawyer. You can also call him Soybean in the comments. <laughs> he doesn't like to talk very much, but. Um, yeah, that's just about it. Peter, yeah, again, somehow missed, uh, the podcast. Getting abducted places. <laughs> Anyways, I guess we'll get started, hop right into it. How to connect Bible teachings to your life. <clears throat> so, I get, the first thing that I found, though, was, uh, Good application comes from good interpretation. Yeah, that makes sense. Because you like, can't really apply something if you don't know what it means. Yeah. Like, you want to figure out uh, what the Bible verses are talking about in general or applied to a certain thing before you actually can apply it to your life. Because otherwise, it's got no meaning to it. Yeah. <coughs> dying over here now when I was looking for when I was studying for this question the verse I kept com- I the verses I found was 2 Timothy 3 16 and 17 and I'll find those real quick I should have found them sooner So, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for proof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And so another <clears throat> principle is like, so when you're connecting Bible teachings to life, <clears throat> essentially what this verse says is that <clears throat> anything the Bible says can apply to your life in some way. Yeah. You can see that all scripture is profitable for doctrine, for proof and correction and instruction in righteousness. And so anything in the Bible can apply to your life in some way. You just have to look deep enough to be able to find that application. Yeah, and you also want to read it for what it says and not what you want it to be as well. Exactly. Uh, what did I have written down here? I have Matthew 7, 1 written down, and I don't know why. <laughs> I forget what the verse is. Pretty sure I memorized some of these verses, but it's been a bit. Yeah. Now another thing I noticed about that verse is when you read Second Timothy three sixteen and seventeen. So, you'll notice there. Well, why'd you get so close to the camera there? What? You like lean towards the camera. My phone's going off. But a lot of times when like you'll try to teach something with the Bible, there are those that will try to dispute it and say that they're, this is a different day and age and we're living in a different time period and things in the Bible don't apply to them because they're not living back then. Mm-hmm. However, you'll notice 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17 says that all scripture 
is profitable. It doesn't say that it was profitable. It uses the present tense. And so all scripture is profitable, is now. As in, even though it was written a thousand years ago or so, or not thousand, more than that, more than that but even though it's all that old, it still applies to your life today. I have no idea where I was going with Matthew 7, 1, because the verse doesn't really have to do with Bible teachings connecting it to your life. Does Matthew 7, 1? What? Hold on, my mic. Matthew 7, 1, you said? Yeah, Matthew 7, 1. It says, judge and judge not that you be not judged. Hold on, my phone's going off. Let me put it on do not disturb. All right. Did you have anything else on that subject? What? Did you have anything else on how to connect Bible teachings to life? I had no idea what you said because my headset's bugging out. Hold on. No. All right, I can hear you <clears throat> now. I said, do you have any more anything else to say on how to connect Bible teachings to life? Uh, pray about what you read and when you read your Bible, uh, and do your Bible study, whatever. Pray about your uh. Let it expose your sin, and then just pray about it. That it might change you. That's all I've yeah. really got left. You got anything else? No. That's about all I had for that subject. I know you're waiting for that persecution question. <laughs> Bible study. Your favorite oh. one. Yeah, I have more on this question than, well, anything else except for the persecution question. I didn't really have much on this question. What did you find when you were looking about it when you were studying it? Well, I just kind of did different ways to study your Bible. I did because uh, the question that's is, kind of what I did. Yeah, how to study your Bible. I did write down what you learn after you like read a chapter, read a verse, whatever. Uh, you can also talk with others about what you read. Uh, choose the relevant topic or study for your Bible study, and then. Look up what you don't understand, of course. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that would crafter entered the chat. So did Caleb. Now, I found quite a bit on Bible study. Um, the one that I did find was when I was looking for it, I did find, um, let me see. If you go to <clears throat> James 1, 23 and 25, through 25, say, um, what was it? Oh, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a, he's likened to a man beholding his natural face in the glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. <clears throat> Pretty sure the birds are on Sawyer's end, guys. Yeah, they are. <clears throat> and so basically, what that saying is, in order to have profitable Bible study, you don't need to just study the Bible. But as you come across what the Bible says, you need to try to apply it to your life, and you need to obey it. R.A. Tori said, The student of the Bible who desires to receive the greatest profit out of his studies must be obedient to his teachings as soon as he sees them. Yeah, I don't really got too much other on that subject, but... I mean, I have some... In R.A. Tori wrote a book called How to Study the Bible, and in that book he laid out several ways 
where you can study the Bible, like different mm -hmm. ways to. And I have some written down here. The first one was individual book study. And <clears throat> so what he said was he suggested that for the first time you're going to attempt this study to choose like a smaller book, like First Thessalonians or First John for individual book study. And he says one of the most profitable parts, ways to study a book of the Bible is to simply sit down and read it like a dozen times through just all the way over and over again. Then he also talks about like a biographical study where you just take a concordance and then you look up every instance, like everywhere a certain person appears in the Bible. And then you can read and make an outline of their entire life as they go through. Mm -hmm. I, I think I kind of do along the lines of what the first one you said was where uh, you take a book and I just read through the book. I read chapter a chapter a night and I just kind of get try and get something out of it. Yeah. Now, he also suggested a topical study where you again take a concordance and then you just look up a word like, <clears throat> like kind of like what you said, where you just pick a topic that's like love or faith or hope or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then you just look up every instance of it <laughs> in the Bible. And then you'd go through and look up its synonyms. And through that, you can have a greater understanding of what that word really means when the Bible uses it. Yeah. Uh, like, what was it? Let me flip back to that. Uh,. Also, it does, like, you can mix and match with some of these Bible studying, because, like, there's no, like, one certain way to study the Bible. No, there's definitely a multitude of ways. Because, like, you could do what I do, read through the chapter, and then write down what you learned. Or, and, like, I know there's certain, like, books in that that will have, like, a study plan, and they'll yeah. have questions about that, what you read that time. Yeah. Aritori actually did in his book. He said another way you can do it for individual book studies is you like take a couple pieces of paper and write down questions like things like what are the leading ideas of the book? What is the central truth of the book? What are the characteristics of the book? And what was the purpose for which he wrote? Like things like that. And then as you read through the book, you just keep reading through it over and over again until you've answered all the questions. Yeah. I also found... Oh, I lost it. Okay, Matthew eleven twenty five says, At that time Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast returned to babes. And so that verse is teaching is basically when you come to God's to study God's word and you want to learn from the Bible, you need to come with a childlike spirit and you need to come like void of your own understanding. Because when you study the Bible, you're not studying the Bible to see how you can conform it to your beliefs and your views. You need to study the Bible and try to learn from it. And instead of trying to insert what you believe into the Bible, take what the Bible says and make that what you believe. And learn what God is trying to tell you as well. Yeah. You got anything else on it or? Nope. Okay. That is the extent of what I got. I mean, um, except for, if you want to learn, like, if you're interested in other ways to study the Bible, you can get R.I. Torrey's book, How to Study the Bible. He lays out a couple more different ways you can study the Bible. And so if you wanted that, you could always just go buy that book. Mm -hmm. Follow-up question that I thought would be a good question to go along with this is how to connect Bible teachings to your life. I don't know, because, like, I asked... Uh, on my social media questions that people had and this was one of them I'm not quite sure what they were asking 
but I tr did try my best to answer it. Wait, hold on, wait, never mind, we did that one. Hold on. We did do that one. That was the first one we did. Yeah, sorry, I was on the wrong page. I was like, my where bad. are you going with this? My bad. I was on the wrong page. Because, you know, I have mine still in the spiral. Uh, why become a Christian? That is the real next question. Yeah. <clears throat> so what were you able to find on that subject? Uh, I kind of just did uh, more of a reason, like, listed out the reasons to become a Christian kind of thing, where uh, I Romans 8.10 me a second to get there. Uh, Romans 8.10 And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Basically, uh, none of us are perfect. So we need uh, salvation to get to heaven, otherwise you're going, you're on your way to hell. Uh, I also have, our good does not outweigh the bad, uh, references Isaiah 64, 6. Um, I can pull up that one too. I mean, yeah, as with your Matthew verse, um, I think it was Matthew, kind of fits in as Romans... Uh, three twelve, I think. They're all going out of the way. They're together become profitable. Profitable. There is no that no. Ah, sorry. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. And then a verse or two two verses previously says, as it is written, there is no righteous. No, not one. It's kind of by the same context. Without yeah. God, you cannot be anything more than unrighteous. Uh, Isaiah 64, 6 says, but we are unclean, but we are as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness is are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. This one I mainly just put, like, Bible verse bullet points, because that's what I was finding a lot of, it's just Bible verses. So, excuse me for scrolling through my Bible, trying to find all these. Should have put markers. Do you have anything for this one, Sawyer? Yeah, what I had found was, I feel like, uh, like the main reason is um, John 14, 6 says, Jesus said unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father by me. So essentially, without trusting in Jesus without receiving God's free gift of salvation, there is no other way to go to heaven. There is no other way to make it because Jesus said, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. So Jesus is the only way of salvation. Mm -hmm. And so except you come to him, there is no way that you can possibly make it to heaven. Yeah. Because he is the only way. Romans 6.23 uh, For the wages of sin is death, and but that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Yeah. And if you don't receive the gift of God, then <clears throat> there is no way, uh, there's no other alternative way 
to make it to heaven except if you receive the gift of God. Yeah, because like we, you don't work for salvation. It is just no. given to you by God. You just have to ask for it. Yep, just have to accept it. Guessing that's all you've got, Sawyer, for that one. Yeah, except for um, the Bible says in Ephesians two nine. Well, my Bible got messed up. It says that um, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. There is nothing on earth you could possibly do in any way that could aid in your salvation at all. The only thing that you can, the only thing you can possibly do. In order to get say, in order to go to heaven and to accept Jesus, is to accept Jesus. Yeah, you work your way into heaven. All right. So, what's our next subject? Uh, does your choice in friends matter? You know, the one I have one thing for because I didn't really like study it too hard, and I didn't really couldn't really find stuff for it. Kind of decent well, the only thing I have is Proverbs twelve twenty six. Give me a second. Uh, the righteous is more excellent than his. Wait, Proverbs. messed up somewhere because this it doesn't have to do with what I thought it did do you remember what it said like the verse no I don't vaguely if you want to go on with what you said I'm gonna try and figure this out what I did um, so basically what I found well, one of the other things I found was Proverbs 27 17 says iron sharpeneth iron so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend and <clears throat> so in under the subject of choosing the correct friends the bible says that a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend and yeah. so if we have good godly friends they should help us to grow in our faith whereas if we have ungodly friends they won't they will not be aiding us at all in our spiritual lives i'd also found um I also found Galatians 6 2 says, Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And so, if we have good friends and we have godly friends, they should be willing to help carry our burdens and help us in our lives as problems arise. Yeah. Uh, while I was doing research for the friends one, though, I did uh, make a few pointers I didn't write down. Like, uh,. You, it is okay to have unchristian friends. You just need to be careful that they're not influencing you instead of you influencing yeah. them all. Because if they are influencing you to do sin, then that is more of an issue than trying to uh, bring them to the Lord. You might uh, just hope that someone else can get to them if because they're, they're influencing you the wrong way. Yeah. And I mean, I kind of had, I actually did have that written down 
under the verse, 2 Corinthians 6, 14, that says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? And so if we're not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, having good godly friends will help you to grow in your spiritual life, but having friends that are not good friends and they're constantly trying to get you to do wrong and trying to get you to sin, that will only harm your spiritual life. Yeah, and uh, I saw this speaker, I forget who it was, but they said uh, their biggest fear is uh, turning around to their friend. Because you want to uh, tell your unsaved friends about Jesus and try to bring him to him. But his biggest fear was that he would turn to one of his friends and uh, during the rapture and uh, they would be looking back at him wondering why never told them about Jesus. Never I mean, yeah, that is, that is one of the most important things a Christian has to do in this life is to witness to others and to bring others to the Lord. Yeah. But choosing good friends and not choosing bad friends, like you said, isn't to say that you can't have unsaved friends because you do still need to try to win people to the Lord. Mm-hmm. You just can't let them influence everything you do, and you can't let them influence you to do wrong and to disobey what God has said. Yeah. Uh, is that all you got for this? Or Yep. Okay. So, your favorite persecution. Why is there persecution if God exists? You want to lead us off with this one? I can lead us off with a little bit. Um, so I actually found not, I actually didn't find a ton on this. I have a fairly long illustration, but to start, I mean, it's evident that since the fall in the garden, when Adam and Eve sinned, that was the beginning of pain. That was part of the sin curse. Romans eight twenty eight says that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain. Because since the day of the fall, there have been pain present in the earth, not because... God is unrighteous, not because he's unfair, simply because that is part of the sin curse. Mm -hmm. Now, pain and persecution are results of the sin curse, but that doesn't mean that God can't use them to bring about something in our lives. Because, I mean, just look at Job. Was the pain, the pain and trials that he went through, those weren't for nothing. Because, I mean, if you look at it, that was God testing Job. He was, like, testing Job to prove that he was, to prove to Job that he was righteous and that he was willing to follow God even through adversity. And so even though there is pain and there is persecution and there is hard times, that's not to say that God isn't fair or God doesn't like you or anything like that. It could simply be God is trying to show you something through pain to help you to grow in your spiritual life. Yeah. Uh, I also have, I have reasons why uh, there's pers- why people uh, are persecuted for being Christianity? Because I think I saw something where there was like at least almost a million Christians killed last year because of their spirituality. But that's more of like the Islamic countries. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. That are doing that. So like. It, I, have, I guess mostly them. Uh, I have three reasons why people are persecuted. I have. Some people don't want to hear the truth, so they try to uh, stop 
people from talking about it. <coughs> they have different beliefs, and then some people hate God, and so they don't want to hear about him, so they try yeah. to persecute. Uh, Matthew's, <laughs> Matthew 5.10 states, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of their righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. And I forget, I actually don't remember the reference here, I can probably find it, but the Bible says, um, if you're not them that can, uh, how does it go? Give me a second, I'll find it. I know about where it is. Did you have anything else on this? Uh, no, I don't. I only have the last question left, so... Alright, here it is. It says, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather hear, fear him that is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Because in other countries, I believe partially part of the persecution is they're trying to silence the Christians from telling the truth, like you said, because they, like, yeah. they don't want to hear the truth. And so they're trying to silence the Christians from speaking out the truth from God's word. But in Matthew, you see that it says not to fear them that can destroy your body, but instead fear God, who can destroy both your body and your soul in hell if you don't heed the truth. Yeah, and, like, there's different levels of persecution depending on where you're at, but, like, in America, the main reason for people trying to shut up Christians and... Uh, stop the talk about Christianity is because they have different beliefs as in like the LGBTQ and all that they go It's like they're complete opposites Because LGBT almost has everything opposite of what Christianity is Yeah So Real quick before you do the last subject I did have some on the subject of Christian books. I know you said you didn't have any. Uh, yeah, all I have is like Narnia and the Bible. I do have a couple here. If you, would. I'm not. Just... I'm not a big reader. Yeah, I am. But real quick, I'm like so. <clears throat> honestly, though, for Christian books, it solely just depends on what you like, who you are, and what you like, because different people are gonna like different things. But if you're looking for like, <clears throat> I don't know, old books like kind of like classic christian books there's like in his steps by charles sheldon and pilgrim's progress by john bunyan but if you're looking for like more modern books to read then you can like christian books i would suggest the left behind series by tim lahaye and jeremy jenkins now <clears throat> that's not to say they are completely correct in everything they like all of their interpretation of bible prophecy but they are good books and then I'd also recommend authors like Ted Decker and Frank Peretti and Bill Myers. I like them too. Yeah. If you're looking for Christian books to read. But like I said, it almost completely depends on who you are and what you like. There's still like a lot of books out there for uh, Christianity-wise still though. Yeah. All right. Final topic. One final of... one. One that I put in there, but uh, I also have like a little some little offshoots for it. What is hell? Because I've had some people who don't like. I'll see that they don't know what hell is or how it works. 
uh, first thing I wanted to state was Satan has no power in hell because he's being thrown into hell. Yeah. I, uh, I saw some comments on a video that I saw a few weeks ago that uh, people thought that when they got to hell that it would be a nice place and they could just be friends with the devil because why would the devil want to punish you for being on his side but he's being thrown in there with you uh, Revelation nineteen twenty, and the beast was taken and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that uh, received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image these both were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone Every sinner or an unsaved person is going to go to hell. God is not sending you to hell. You're already on the way to hell. God, if you ask God for salvation, he is just changing your course of direction to heaven. Yeah. Well, because of the sin curse, the Bible actually, we read that, we even quoted that verse earlier, the wages of sin is death. From the first moment you're born and the first time you sin, you are doomed to hell. And there's nothing that can change that, <clears throat> except you receive salvation. Yeah. But like, uh, I know some like there. I was just scrolling through these comments, and a lot of people just thought they just had like the wrong thought going through their head or whatever. So. Yeah, and I mean, as to what hell is going to be like, the Bible tell says a lot about it. I mean, I feel like it's mentioned a lot in Revelation being described as a lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which I personally think that's probably not going to be very fun. Yeah. I actually looked it up. In Smith's Bible Dictionary, part of the definition of brimstone is a crystalline substance that when burning emits a peculiar suffocating odor. And that was part of the description of what brimstone is. And so not only it – so you'd be in a place for eternity – in a lake of fire with this brimstone also. And the Bible actually does have a lot of references. Yeah, that describe I think there's like over 250 verses that uh, talk about hell or something like that. Yeah, there's a lot of them. I mean, I have a lot of references here, like Matthew 25, 41, Mark 9, 43 through 48, Revelation 14, 10 and 11, 2 Thessalonians 1, 8 and 9, Matthew 13, 50, Revelation 20, 14 and 15. I mean, that's just some of them. There's a lot more than that, obviously. But they all seem to say the same thing, that it will be horrible. Yeah, there's no, like, getting used to the flames or anything. It'll be everlasting pain and suffering. Yeah, I mean, you see that? I can't remember the... I could probably find it where... The parable of the rich man and Lazarus. When Lazarus died, there's a poor man named Lazarus and there's a rich man. And essentially, okay, here we go. I found it. So it says, um, there's a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen, fared sumptuously every day. And there's a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus that, he, Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. 
But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And so essentially, hell is going to be so incredibly awful that like the rich man, the only thing you'll want is one drop of water. <clears throat> and if a place that's so bad, that is has so much fire, that is so horrible, that it's described multiple times as being a torment, and that the one thing he wanted, the rich man wanted, was one drop of water. That tells me that hell is probably going to be just what the Bible says it is, and it's probably going to be the worst punishment imaginable. Yeah. Uh, before we end this podcast, I have a story that I found of an atheist professor uh, trying to prove to his students that God wasn't real. Uh, the professor asked, if uh, did God create everything? His uh, student replied, yes, sir. Then, uh, wait, hold on. Where is it? Uh, the professor asked, does evil exist? And uh, one student said, yes, it does. And so the professor said, if God created everything, then God created evil, since evil exists, and according to the principle of our works to find who we are, then God is evil. Another student raised their hand and uh, asked the professor if he could ask him a question. The professor was all, he was like, yeah, go ahead. The student asked, does cold exist? The professor was bamboozled by this question. He wasn't sure what the kid was trying to get at, but he was like, what kind of question is this? Of course it exists. Have you, ever, have you never been cold? The young man replied, cold does not exist uh it is the absence of heat he then uh went on and asked does darkness exist the professor said yes it does the student replied once again you are wrong sir darkness does not exist either darkness is the reality of absence of light sorry that's my mom calling my dogs in the background uh and then uh, the student went on to ask, does evil exist? Now uncertain, the professor responded, of course, as I have already said, we see it every day. The student went on and replied, evil does not exist, sir, or at least it does not unto itself. Evil simply the absence of God, it just is just like darkness and cold, a word that man has created to describe the absence of God. God did not create evil. Evil is not like faith or love that exist just as light and heat. <laughs> so I don't know if you got anything else to add on to the end of this. I've got nothing except if you have any, if anyone listening has any other questions, they would like to like us to answer in a future po episode of the podcast. If you would just simply put in the comments, see it, and try to answer the next episode. Yeah, we uh, and like earlier, the better that we have time to yeah uh, study the question. But yeah, and then uh, I guess uh, if you are not saved and you are watching this video, go find a pastor or a friend or someone, pray with them that you might get saved. You can even do it by yourself. You don't even need anyone else. Just uh, sit down right now, pray.
pray that God might save you and repent of your sins and believe on the gospel of Jesus Christ. <laughs> so do you want to pray this time, Sawyer? Or? I thought you said you are going to. <laughs> You're the one becoming a pastor. <laughs> All right, fine. All right, let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray to thank you for this day, and I pray to thank you for giving us the opportunity to do this. I pray that you will be with everything we've said and everyone that hears it, and I pray that you will allow it to um, just touch people's hearts and help them in their walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We will see you guys next month. I'm not quite sure when it will be, but we're going to definitely do one next month. Goodbye. See you. I was going to say, you were supposed to cut off it when we said goodbye. Well, and it, then it, it takes a second to end it for some reason. I watched the clock kept going, and I was like, oh, no. <laughs>